It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. It's uh, awesome, as always, to have you listening, and I'm really pleased to be bringing you this little bonus episode. It's my takeaways from last week's Channel Advisor Catalyst European Conference. Um, but before I get into that, if you haven't already heard this week's interview, well, you should definitely go and have a listen. Not right now. Finish this episode first. But uh, back in episode 103, uh, I was talking to Christine Nicholson of Divine Legs, and having a discussion with her about how she successfully launched her online hosiery business by focusing on the simple concept of 100 sales in 100 days, or the simple challenge even. It sounds easy, but then you think about it and it sounds pretty tough. Then you think about it again, it sounds easy. Well, you're going to have to have a listen to hear how uh, Christine got on with it, a few of her tips for success if you're going to follow in her footsteps, and, uh, and what she's been up to since. For now though, let's get back to this bonus episode. And get the written version of these takeaways, so my scripts that I'm kind of reading from right now, if you like, uh, with pictures too, a couple of nice graphs and a nice picture of Mary Portis in there. You can get that directly on the web page for this episode, so in the show notes, as we like to call them. There's no form to fill in, there's nothing to download, it's just right there like an exceptionally long blog post. You can find that via ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find a link to this show, this show's show notes even, which is 103-5. Yes, we're up over 100. Still love saying that. Uh, So last Tuesday, I attended the Channel Advisor Catalyst Conference, which this time happened in Manchester in the UK. So I got to go up north, which meant flights for me, which is terribly exciting. Um, But what is that Channel Advisor Catalyst Conference? Well, Catalyst is a one-day conference run by Channel Advisor. Surprise, surprise. Each year, I try to attend the UK one as my yearly chance to swat up on the world of marketplaces, Amazon, eBay, Newegg, Alibaba, etc., etc. Because as you know, that's not usually what what I'm focused on. There was just one stream of content plus expert roundtable sessions, which I have to admit I didn't go along to. I did go along to the stream of content, otherwise I have nothing to tell you about, but I didn't attend those uh, expert roundtable sessions. And uh, if you're not familiar with Channel Advisor, it's a software system for putting your products into the marketplaces and onto other things such as Google Shopping, etc. I'm sure Channel Advisor would describe themselves a bit differently, but we'll just keep it simple here. And they are probably the market leader in their field, and they've been running the conference now for several years. Don't think, however, that these takeaways are going to be all about Amazon, eBay and Alibaba, although there is quite a healthy smattering of that towards the end. But whilst the conference is aimed at marketplace sellers, the content is much more wide-ranging than just eBay this, Newegg that. So there's plenty in this episode for everyone in e-commerce. In fact, Kind of the key things were kind of some some thinking points more than some practical takeaways, although there are plenty of practical takeaways. But I think the big thing is it really gets you thinking about where e-commerce is at the moment. But that will all make sense as I run through it. I promise. And if it doesn't, go and tell me off in the Facebook group, uh, the e-commerce master plan world Facebook group. I always love to hear your feedback on these episodes. Now, Catalyst, before I get into the takeaways, is a conference where I always bump into some really interesting people. And this year was no exception. So I've got a few hellos to do before we get started. Um, I hope this doesn't lead to any of you spilling your coffee over yourself or other accidents. So hopefully it'll just make you smile and feel a little bit pleased with yourself. 
Okay, first up, I bumped into former podcast guest Tim Thorpe from Snake Hive. They're their mobile phone cover manufacturers and retailers. Um, I actually met him last year at the event, which is why I ended up on the podcast. And it was really great to catch up with you, Tim, and hear how things are going so well for you at the moment. And I have to say, feeling a bit proud here, that's partly because he took my advice and has built an awesome email welcome campaign. Go and take a look at it. It's, uh, it's actually now the star of any email marketing course I give. Yes, even better than the Project Repat Welcome campaign. So one you should all go and sign up to and have a look at because it's really effective, but it's actually really simple as well and easy for you to adapt to your own needs. Okay, so podcast listeners who I bumped into, first off, thanks very much for coming over and having a chat with me. And if you're a podcast listener and you... Um, and you ever see me at an event, please do come over and, um, and butt in and say hello, because I, I love to, to connect with you guys in the real world. So I bumped into Rob Boyle of Homespares, who's been listening and giving me feedback from day one. And we finally were able to catch up and chat in person. So that was a real highlight of the day for me. So thank you, Rob. Um, I also met up with uh, Gary, oh, I'm going to get your surname wrong, Gary, uh, Gary Senevaratney, who's actually works at Channel Advisor. And all I can say, Gary, is from our chat, it's a very small world. Uh, but it was really nice to chat to you and uh, great to have you listening. Also, I bumped into uh, a new potential podcast guest called Stuart Baldry. He's got a really interesting business. So I'm really hoping we're able to find a slot in his diary that works for the interview. And of course, I caught up with the Tame Bay team. Dan and Chris, always a pleasure to see you guys. Uh, and also the, both the teams at GFS and Payoneer, great to catch up with you and Andy as well. It was a really, really good day for catching up what, what people are up to and meeting up and having some very, very interesting thought-provoking conversations. Well, let's go into those takeaways, which, as I said earlier, are pretty much full of those big thought pieces. So I'm going to run through them based on who said them. So we're going to start off with Mary Portis. I'm then going to go into Julie Dean of the Cambridge Satchel Company. And then I'll take you through the numbers bits, which is kind of what David Spitz, who's the CEO of Channel Advisor, took us through. At the end, I'm going to summarise the five key things to take away from it all. Um, so we're going to start with Mary Portis. For those of you not in the UK who might not be familiar with Mary Portis, she is a retail genius. Amazing woman. Um, go Google her and read her Wikipedia page because... Um, I'm not going to repeat all that now. I'm just going to give you the, the key things. Just take it from me. She is somebody worth listening to. So there was quite a lot of kind of pure inspiration sessions at this year's event. The Mary Porter session and the Julie Dean one, which I'm going to come on to in a minute, um, were full of inspiring ideas that really just got you thinking about their stories, about their opinions, rather than kind of a how-to or what's going on with the marketplaces. I highly recommend that if you see either of them on a conference agenda, you go and see them because it was well, well worth it. it um, each of their sessions would have been worth going to Manchester alone for, in my humble opinion. This session with Mary was a fireside chat with, which means one of Channel Advisor just kept asking Mary questions. So there wasn't really kind of like a clear arc or anything to it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to distill it down into a few key points for you. Overall, I would say it was very much about Mary, Mary encouraging us to think about the why and not the what. Um, that in terms of a solution to whatever challenges you're facing in your retail business, what that kind of means is that you've got to understand the human behaviour behind it all. So, diff so bearing in mind, you're going to have to take different approaches to selling in physical and virtual stores because people go there for different things. In the physical store, it's about space, senses, experience and service. Online is about speed, information and convenience. Very, very different approaches to get to the same result. 
And to get that right, of course, you need to be constantly walking the shop floor. Mary was really keen on this. You know, if you've, those of you who've worked in physical retail will know that it's, it's a really good idea to a couple of times a day just walk the floor, see what's happening, see what's out of place, what needs fixing, but also spot opportunities because you're experiencing the retail experience just like the customers are and you're visualising and seeing what those customers are actually doing. In online, of course, we can walk that floor as well. You know, I've I've been there myself where you, you haven't looked at your own website for weeks. Well, go and have a look at it. <laughs> go and see what's happening. See what, what, oh, I didn't realise that was, oh, that shouldn't be there anymore. Really important discipline, I think, to get into. I completely agree with Mary on that one. And um, also, you need to get to know your customer. Obviously, we do that through data, but you've also got to do that through actual conversations. Um, and for those of you running businesses with customers all over the place, you know, you can't get them all together in one place. You can't do these focus groups. Then Facebook groups are a great way to do this. That's kind of my advice, not something Mary mentioned. But, you know, I'm finding it so useful having many of you in the e-commerce master plan world Facebook group because it gives me a really clear insight to what your current challenges and complications are. So um, it's it's a really valuable resource and so easy and totally free to set up as well. So I highly recommend doing that to get a bit of a, a bit of a virtual focus group, a bit of a, a virtual relationship going on with those customers. Linked in to the whole human and kind of why piece was what I think might be my number one takeaway of the day. In fact, I wrote that at the beginning of writing this script. And by the time I got to the end of this script, this was definitely my number one takeaway of the day, which is, and this is a direct quote from Mary, it's no longer about status symbols, it's about status stories. So what that means is we're not making sure we're wearing the Prada shoes. Instead, we're wearing the shoes that have the story behind them. Oh yeah, this is from this really lovely boutique that I found here. And they're different because they do it this way. And this is what these shoes are inspired by. Or the ethical story or the green story or the this is my Apple Watch. It's so cool because it can do this, this and this. It's about the story of the product not about simply having the status symbol. So it's something we need to be able to talk about and brag about to our friends, which means in practical terms, you need to know why your business exists and why someone should want your product. So why should they buy from you? What's the story? How did you find the business? Why does, why does the business exist? Get it on the About Us page and in the Welcome campaign as well. Why should they buy that product? What's its story? Is it the best tech, the best deal, the guarantee, the top seller, the ethics, the sourcing of it, where it's from, the experience, the bonus freebies? Is it made in America, made in the UK? Is it from artisans? Is it the best possible leather you could get? You know, what, what is it that, that gives them the reason to buy that product and how can you get that story across to people? A business which is full of why and story then, as we're going to move into the Cambridge Satchel Company and the talk given by Julie Dean. Now, Julie took us through the story of the creation of her business. And it's one of those ones where you're both kind of jealous and in awe at the same time. Um, she was such a classic, uh, dynamic, ballsy, clever lady. Again, if you ever see her talking anywhere, go and listen because it's well, well worth it. If you're not familiar with the Cambridge Satchel Company, they sell satchels, surprise, surprise, and Julie grew it from a £600 investment to be worth £50 million in the first five years. Yeah, quite, quite serious growth. Rather than repeat the story, which I won't do anywhere near as well as Julie did it by any stretch of the imagination, I'm going to run through the eight key lessons that I took from her session. And these are really varied from kind of big picture stuff down to 
little tips and tricks that she gave out. Okay, so number one, having a clear goal or your back against the wall really, really helps. And I think this is something which I was certainly relating to those times in life where it's been, oh my God, how are we going to get through the next month? Um, But Julie told the story of, of it when it happened to her, which is that she started the business because her daughter was being bullied at school and she wanted to send her to a private school which also meant sending her son, of course, because you can't send one and not the other, which meant she had the summer holidays to find a way to afford the £24,000 per year fees. Just a minor task. Um, And she only had £600 to start it all off with. She kept saying about how the timescales, her lack of experience and the kitchen table nature of the business meant that her and her mum just got on with it. They got the logo done in 45 minutes. They needed a supplier. So they called up the person who has the connection every 35 minutes until they gave in and gave her the details. Very clever, very tenacious, very persistent. She even said that the biggest problems in the business came when they had an investor for the first time and had plenty of money, which meant they all got a bit lazy. So for those of you facing adversity at the moment, which I know several of you are because of the conversion rate um, fluctuations and customers not spending quite so much and borders and fees and all those different things that are going on at the moment sent to try us turn them to your advantage use them to focus in on the bits and the pieces that really make the difference and a couple of the bits we're going to go through from my takeaways from julie's session are going to hopefully going to help you with that too so number two from julie uh, a big issue for the self-employed in the uk is feeling isolated and lonely now I know we have a lot of listeners from around the world and I know that this isn't just the case in the UK. Julie's advice, if you're in that situation, is well, one, recognise it for starters, which is mainly why I've put it in here. But also, she says you have to find a way to connect with other people for support. In my experience, the best support is to go and find people who are doing similar things to you. You know, a number of times I've tried to explain to my parents what I do. It's a long, a long process, which I'm still working on 10 years later. But it's, um, so you've got to try and find people who are similar, which is, so if you're feeling a bit lonely and a little bit, oh my God, I'm no one else knows what I'm going through, then uh, that's kind of one of the reasons I created the e-commerce master plan world Facebook group. Totally free to join. It's on Facebook. So please get yourself over there. And if you want a little bit more connection, then you get that in the Get More Customers Club, which is the, the new club I've launched where we have... Um, live sessions where we all get together and chat through what's going on and I help you out and we have hot topic videos and we have the Facebook group, a separate Facebook group just for them as well so you build those stronger connections. It's it's a co- really cost effective route for solopreneurs and those running businesses which I know can be equally as lonely as being the only person in the business. Be able to jump on those live sessions, chat those challenges out and um, and talk to people in the same in the same position. So if you're feeling a bit isolated and lonely, go and check out the club because you you might find it's the right thing for you. It's at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash club. Right, sales pitch over. Point number three, um, her idea assessing model. Now, this is a process I've heard other people talk about. It's what I use myself when dealing with big questions like what course should I create next or how can I get more listeners on the podcast? It's not exclusive to Julie. But I don't think I've ever talked about it on the show. And she had such a great example of it. I thought it would be worth sharing it with you now. Because she used this to work out which business idea she was going to execute on. So she created a spreadsheet called 10 Ideas to Pay for School Fees. She wrote down her 10 best ideas and then she created columns for each of the important criteria. Can I start it with £600? 
is it likely to earn me £24,000 in the next 12 months? Will it work if I go under a bus? You know, will it carry on beyond me because the kids still have to go to school? Um, she ranked each of those ideas, each of her 10 ideas, on a scale of 1 to 10 against each of the criteria. Then she totaled it up and whichever one came out on top gives you the best option to pursue. It's a really useful way of making sense of a potentially paralysing set of options. You know, those big questions like which product category do we expand next? Uh, what, what, um, what, what could I do to grow my email list? All these, you know, these many ideas that are going on in your head. It's a really good way to make sense of them and make sure you're putting your effort in the right place first. Okay, number four, adapt when things don't turn out like you think they will. AKA, follow the money. So follow where the money's coming from, where the sales are coming from, where the customers are. So Julie thought when she started the business, she'd be selling satchels to school kids. She's actually selling them to 17 to 35 year old women who use them as a handbag. She'd also assumed that she'd be selling them in traditional colours, you know, browns, blues, blacks. Then Elle magazine phoned up and said, how bright can you go? which led to a fluorescent bag range, which got them huge coverage in the New York Fashion Week, which then led to them really, really going into the colour options. So you have to be ready to twist and pivot, which is equally, as in, you know, even more important when you're in that position when your back's a bit, a bit against the wall and you're suffering from those piece, points of adversity. Okay, number five is a little tool tip for you. Um, so this is Text Expander. It's a great tool. You'll find a link to it in the show notes or you can go straight to textexpander.com. It starts from just $3.33 per month. And what it does is it enables you to quickly insert text you type a lot with a simple code. E.g. Panic30 could insert a whole paragraph explaining why the order is 30 days late. That was the example that Julie was giving when they had massive backlog of orders when they first started out. You could put um, you know, it could be the code of web, which inserts your website address. And it works across all the different things where you might be typing information. And you can also get a version that works across your team as well. Just a great way to speed up those customer communications and, and other things you might be up to. Right then, number six, another quick piece of advice. This one, I'm afraid, is only really going to help those in the UK. So I apologise to the majority of our listeners who are not in the UK for this. But there may well be services like this in your own country. But this is something I hadn't heard of before. And it's such a great service. I just had to share it. So the British Library have 11 business and IP centres around the UK, including one at St Pancras in London, where you can get free templates of all kinds of ingredients ingredients agreements even including manufacturers agreements and lots and lots and lots of ip advice free sessions um, assistance coaching all kinds of things and there's also a great research library there too and all of that's available for free to people looking to start or grow businesses you the easy i could read out the url but it's really long so i put a link i've put a link to it in the show notes or just Google British Library Business and IP Centres and you'll find the information. So well worth a look if you're creating your own products and growing your business in the UK. Okay, number seven. We're back to things that will work in all countries. Ask the customers. I know I say this a lot. I've said it several times in this podcast already. Make sure you're asking the customers. Julie wanted to expand into more colour options. 
but the price to get into one colour was high because of the minimum leather buy she had to make. So she had to buy quite a lot of leather to be able to get it in the colour she wanted. So what she did was she got a fashion blogger to run a competition asking what colour people would most like a satchel in. 83% of respondents wanted it in Irish green, so that's the colour she created. So that completely takes the guesswork out of it. Right, the customers want Irish green, we'll do one in Irish green. But it took it to a, she she then rather took it to another level and emailed each of those who had asked for the green satchel and said to them, You've chosen the winning colour. Would you like a bag from the first batch? We'll reward you by covering the PMP. So no discount as such. Now over sixty percent of those people she emailed bought the bag, which meant that Julie had three times the number of orders she needed to cover the minimum quantity of leather she could buy. How awesome is that? So not only has she gone what colour? Oh, well, let's ask the customers what colour they want. She's then gone, well, let's see if the customers will pay for it as well. Very, very clever move and something which all of you could do. OK, the margin then for sales days. This is number eight. This is something I talk about a lot. So margin for sales days. And I'm talking sales pay, sales days like Amazon Prime Day, Singles Day, Black Friday. You know, those big sales pushes that now are part of our calendar. And I make this point a lot, but it's well worth making again, which is that any promotion should get the customer to do what you want them to do as cheaply as possible. So with with giving away as little margin as possible. So here's a couple of examples that Julie shared of how they've refocused on margin rather than volume. Now, they sell on Tmall into China, where Singles Day is absolutely huge, far bigger than Black Friday. In 2015, they sold 8,000 bags on Singles Day, but made almost no profit, which is particularly bad when they manufacture all their own bags. And therefore, that just took a whole load of capacity that they could have used to sell for a profit. So in 2016, they resisted the pressure from Timor to do bigger discounts and only discounted to 20%. They sold a lot fewer bags, but they did make a much better profit. She said they then used the same approach to win on Black Friday, which year on year meant that sales fell 5%. However, profit was up 35%. And I think we'd all be quite happy with that. Okay, so those were my eight takeaways from the session with Julie. Can you believe we got through all of that and a huge amount more in her session? Um, Like I said, if you get the chance to go and hear her speak, she was phenomenal. Uh, Okay, so last up is the pieces I took from the session done by David Spitz, who was kind of doing a state of the nation session, which actually opened the whole conference. As is the remit of the CEO of Channel Advisor, David did a magnificent job of making one believe that the sky is falling in on everything but marketplace selling. It was uh, it was a really impressive piece and a great way, of course, for Channel Advisor to start the day with because they want all of us investing more in marketplace selling. However, quite amusingly, I think this was um, was not really continued throughout the day because uh, the first thing Julie said when she came on stage after David was, I'm not going to worry about the whole Amazon thing and then got on with concentrating on her business. So that's a sentiment I want you to remember as I go through this section. These stats should give you pause to think about your business and its future structure a little differently. But this is not a tear it up and start again or the world is over if I'm not on the marketplaces. But I think now is the time where you do have to make sure marketplaces are some kind of part of your strategy. But I'll come on to that in a moment. Okay, so key points from David's. First off, e-commerce in Western Europe has matured and the growth opportunity is now overseas. 
I've put a picture showing a graph of the growth predictions from 2016 to 2020 for a number of different countries and regions in the show notes. But I'm going to talk through kind of the key numbers for you, for those if you don't want to have to go and have a look at those. So basically, between now and 2020, there's predicted to be very little market growth, i.e. increase in amount spent online, in Western Europe or APAC, excluding China and India. The USA, India and Latin America are going to go grow quite a bit. By my guess, about 50%, something like that. Looking at the, there's no numbers on the chart, you see, so I'm guessing you'll see if you go to show notes what I mean. Um, China, however, is going to grow like crazy, like three times the size it is at the moment, is the predictions. What does this mean? Well, you might want to take advantage of those growing markets and cash in on their growth because it's a lot easier to increase your sales in a marketplace that's growing because you know, there's less competition. Uh, you they, Theoretically, your sales simply go up as people are spending more money online. Alternatively, if you want to keep focusing on slower growth markets, you need to adapt your strategy from being part of the easy Wild West scenario to being a mature market which means you need to get all your ducks in a row. You need your email marketing working. You need your ad strategy paying its way. You need to make sure you've got your eye on the ball with conversion rate optimization. And of course, you have to be listening to your customers. You've got to get those whys right. It's not just the what anymore. You've really got to make sure you've got all your sales methods working for you. Now, don't go thinking that's a negative thing. That's a real opportunity because not everybody's going to be adapting in that way. So this is your chance to really solidify your position in the existing market, your existing market. Um, if you're looking to enter a market, then do your homework on the best route in. This is another one of my key points I took from David's session. Um, and it's probably going to point you to a marketplace entry method, not least because it's a lot easier. You don't have to find the customers that are already there. And the reason I say do the homework is because this will influence what you, um, how you choose to enter. So, for example, in China, 80% of the online retail market goes through Alibaba. So that would be a great place to start. In Germany, 40% now goes through Amazon, which means essentially you might decide that all you're ever going to do in Germany is that Amazon strategy. In the UK, just so you can get a feel for this, for comparison for those of you in the UK, and unfortunately he didn't give us the US numbers, but in the UK, 27% goes through Amazon. Leading on from that, then, my next takeaway from David's session, if you're selling in the UK or anywhere where marketplaces are over 25%, so that would include Germany, that would include China, you need to have marketplace as part of your strategy. That doesn't mean you have to quickly tomorrow start selling on the marketplace if you're not already, but you need to know what your options are. And if you're not going to be on them, have a good reason for not being on them. You need to know what your plan is with the marketplaces. Are you going to definitely never go on them? In which case you need to build your brand, you need to build your customer base so they're coming and buying from you. You may decide that you're going to put 10% of your product range on there the worst or the best. You may decide you're going to use the marketplaces to clear old stock and save you from having to discount so much on your own website. There are lots of different ways to use the marketplaces, but they are now a significant part of the marketplace, the overall marketplace in many, many countries. So you really got to acknowledge their existence and work out how they are best used for you. You can't just ignore marketplaces anymore. Logistics is the battlefield of the next few years. This is my next takeaway from David's session, which you probably all could have worked out 
But um, I think there were some few kind of interesting points he made, so I just want to run through those for you. It's going to be the battlefield, not least because Amazon and the big retailers keep lifting customer expectations and the rest of us have to keep up. So you've got to build that increased service level for logistics into your price structure. You've got to make sure your delivery and returns options are what your customers are looking for. Do a quick competitor analysis. You know, look at who's coming up for your keywords on Google. Go and see what they're offering in terms of returns, in terms of delivery, and make sure you're you're matching up with them. Otherwise, people, you will be losing customers to them. Looking at what Amazon's been up to, it looks like they're on a pathway to building their own full logistics operation right to the customer's door. And once they've done that, they will probably look to open it up to everyone else, like they have done with Amazon Web Services, like they have done with the Amazon Marketplace. So, In a few years' time, Amazon could be fulfilling and delivering your own store orders. That's very much a prediction, but but if it comes to pass, it's probably good news for the smaller retailer. Because it means you'll have a very cost-effective way to deliver at the same standards that Amazon are telling everybody they should expect their deliveries to be at. For example, um, and it's it's likely to be highly cost effective. And I just want to give you this example from yesterday's Get More Customers Club live session where we were talking about how to get your products eligible for Prime on Amazon. One of the members shared how they're currently using FBA to do that, uh, which is fulfilled by Amazon. So you send your stock in and Amazon do the fulfillment from the Amazon platform, from sales from the Amazon platform. And they'd looked at the new ship it yourself and be on Prime option, but they couldn't get the cost as cheap as the FBA logistics option. So they're sticking with FBA for the moment. So Amazon are already price beating other courier options to get to those prime standards. Not such great news for couriers, but if they open that platform up to the rest of us, this could make fulfillment a whole lot easier. Some of this might sound a little scary and that marketplaces are going to take over the world. Um, I really don't think that's the case. Um, And as David pointed out, Amazon is focused on making the customer happy, not on killing off e-commerce. My last point from David's update is that he's also predicting that ad spend on Amazon will rival ad spend on Google in the future. This is partly based on what he's seen retailers doing with test ad spends on, on Amazon last year to proper budgets for Amazon ads this year because you can have Amazon ads that direct people to your products on Amazon and also to your own website. It's also based on some stats he showed us and I've got a picture of these in the um, show notes for you which were comparing where customer purchase journeys start in 2015 versus 2016 and they had them starting in three places so starting on Amazon starting on the search engine starting with retailers both in 2015 and 2016 the the, the highest place for starting was Amazon but it grew from 44% of searches in, or, or journeys rather in 2015 to 55% of searches in 2016 which means more than half of all customer buying journeys, I'm pretty certain he was talking UK data, um, now starts on Amazon. The search engines has fallen from 34% to 28%. So about a third start on the search engines. So you can really see why the Google flip is, you know, the, the ad spend is going to become as important on Amazon as it is on Google because people are starting their journey on Amazon and then less, less people are starting their journey on the search engines. 
And then for retail sites, as a starting point, that's dropped from 21% to 16%. As I said, the graphs of this are on the website if you want to go and take a look at them, because I realise that's quite a lot of numbers there. But essentially, what I'd say as your takeaway from that is I'd put some time and money towards Amazon ads this Christmas and giving them a go and seeing how they work for you. Give them a good test as the, the numbers pick up in November, December. Okay, that's my takeaways from the Catalyst event last week. As I said, I would drill these down into the five key pieces. So um, here are my five. It's no longer about status symbols. It's about status stories. Ask your customers and follow the money. Protect your margin. Marketplaces must be part of your strategy. Amazon ads should be in your test list for Christmas. Now, you can find the full script and a few of the picks at the show notes, which you will find by going to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast and click the link to episode 103-5. It's a lot less complicated than it sounds once you get there, I promise. Um, any comments, questions, etc., put them in the ecommerce masterplan world Facebook group that you will find at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook. And I'll get back to you on those and probably other members of the group will as well. And make sure you don't miss our next episode. It's an interview uh, with a real live retailer, as per usual, uh, packed with ideas from a very niche e-commerce business in the USA called Violent Little Machine Shop. You'll have to tune in to find out more about that one, and it'll be live on Monday. Have a great week, everybody, and keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.